Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Well, today on the Strata Leadership Show, we have someone that um, is truly irreplaceable in my life and someone that I cannot wait for you to hear from. And I know I say that with all the guests, but one of the promises that we made is that we would only have people on this show who were really trying to do something to make life better for other people. But this uh, person today happens to be uh, my dad. And so uh, I know a lot of people are excited to hear uh, from my dad, and he is uh, someone that I obviously love uh, very much. And if you've heard me uh, speak, you've probably heard me tell stories about uh, him. And today happens to be his birthday. And so I thought, what a great day to have him reflect about his life, reflect about the things that he's learned along the way. So I'd like to welcome David Meller to the show today. Uh, Welcome, Coach. Thank you, son. Take a lap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really thankful for the chance to have some time together today. And this show is designed for, for people who are leaders people who are learning to be leaders. And part of that is learning about their stories, how they became to be who they are today. So tell us a little bit about uh, your life growing up, moments that helped you um, realize that perhaps you could serve people as a leader. Tell us about life in Marietta, Ohio. Well, it was a little town um, right across the river from West Virginia, Appalachia. Uh, my father was a letter carrier. My mom worked uh, various jobs. Um, I had an older brother, an older sister. Did not do real well in elementary school, but I had a lot of teachers that really uh, cared about me and made me feel like um, they knew I was trying, even though I wasn't succeeding particularly well. Uh, when I finally got into middle school, I began to be able to pass a few classes and things kind of looked up a little bit from there. So I've been to Marietta and I've been able to, to see where you grew up in the, in the historic place that you called home. At what point would you say growing up that you started realizing that um, people listened to you or that you being a leader, um, that you had something that people might have responded to? Uh, probably like a lot of people, I think for me, the first time of having success was playing sports. Um, I got into a lot of fights when I was in school and, um, got in trouble for that. Been to the office several times, but, uh, when I first went out to play football, um, I could hit people as hard as I want. And the coaches were like, you know, that's fantastic. I didn't get any trouble for it. I look back on it and I think it's kind of shallow in a way. Even as a coach, I look back on it and think, you know, what were we saying? But um, the fact you were tough on a football field really didn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with life, but it did give you a, a little more sense of confidence. And, um, you know, it, it sounds funny, but people knew who I was. And um, that made me start thinking about who I might be. So I'm, I guess that's where I would probably say it started. So I know obviously about your background and you played football. You were involved in track. Later, you'd be 
both in high school, but specifically in, in college, you did a lot with the swim team. And then you were, were really focused on wrestling quite a bit. Uh, of all the sports, which would you say was the most impactful to you? Probably was football. Um, it probably should have been wrestling, but um, I, I just really loved, I really loved football. And I think it, part of that goes back to the coaches. Um, when I was on the wrestling team, we had four different coaches in four different years. So you really didn't have that bond. Um, but I was thinking about this the other day. And um, you know, one of the coaches uh, had been in the military. And I never was in the military. And, and sometimes I feel a little guilty about that. A lot of my friends were. And uh, I lost friends in Vietnam. But uh, one time took me aside and, and told me that, you know, he really admired me. And I was like, you admire me. I mean, I've, done, I've never done anything, you know. Uh, but those kind of comments have an impact on you. I remember when I made varsity, uh, one of the seniors, when he graduated, he gave me his jersey. And he told me to make him proud wearing that jersey. You know, I'm a freshman in high school. And, and um, it just meant something to me that he would say that. And as crazy as it was, I ended up not wearing that jersey the next year. But when I had that jersey on, I wanted to make him proud. So you graduated from high school and from Marietta High School, and then you decided to go on to Harding College. And you get there. What was the biggest thing that, uh, when you look back on it, what was the biggest thing that changed in you when you moved away from the, uh, your hometown, where you had grown up and your dad had grown up and your granddad had grown up? This was the first time that you had lived outside of Ohio. You moved to this small college. How did that change you? One of the things is I, my family was very dysfunctional and uh, it got better. It was probably better for me than it was for my brother and sister, uh, but it still wasn't just ideal. And um, I, I never thought about going to college. I was looking for a job and a man who was dating a girl from my hometown church um, came to visit her and she was telling him about me playing football and he came to talk to me to go play football so two weeks later i'm at harding i never dreamed i would go to college and um so it was like i don't know that i thought it really then but i realized i could be anybody here nobody knows me nobody i don't have any anything to live up to or, or live down to it's kind of a clean slate I do remember thinking about that, thinking, okay, you know, I can't rely upon anything I've ever done before, um, but then they don't particularly know the things I'm not proud of either. So, so uh, you, you fast forward, you, you, you get through uh, college and you start off at the YMCA and, and then you make your way into really a handful of things. Uh, you, you're doing full-time ministry for uh, most of your adult life. You're also going into teaching and then into to coaching full-time. When you think back about what it means to be called Coach Meller, because most people when I, who know you, they call you Coach Meller uh, if they knew you in that context. What does it mean to you to be a coach? How has that changed your life? Well, um, tremendously. I, I, think, I think that that should mean something very positive. But I can remember being extremely disappointed in coaches, um, knowing that they were asking us to do things that they, they wouldn't do or ask us to not do things that they were doing, uh, not being able to realize they were human beings that 
were flawed. Uh, when I when I realized they were flawed, it was devastating to me because I I just thought so highly of them. And and um, so to me, being a coach, it, it's more than just this the sport, whatever sport it might be. It's it's something way beyond that. Um, I often said I don't think I was really the greatest coach in the world because at the end of the day, I didn't, I just couldn't be depressed for three or four days because we lost. If we played well, if the guys really tried hard, if they, if we were just outmanned, the lessons we learned, um, I, I would tell the players all the time, what you do in the fourth quarter is what you're going to do when it's tough in your life. You know, if you're going to quit now, you'll quit your wife. If you're going to quit now, you, you're not supporting the other players. You're not going to support the people. And I believe that it, it wasn't just, something I said is something I, I truly believed. And I think that's true. And, um, so every once in a while I hear from a player and, and, uh, it's humiliating, but also makes you feel great. And they'll tell you something you told them and you're like, wow, that's, you know, that's 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And you still remember that. So looking back at your life, there are a number of things that I would look at as, uh, that has shaped me. And uh, one of them was that we uh, always had foster kids uh, living in our home growing up. Even before that was even an official thing, there was just uh, people who needed a, a place to restart their lives and they would often end up at, at our home. And then later it was more in that formal setting. Um, why, why did you and mom choose to be foster parents? You know, I, I don't think we ever just really sat down and talked about it in some deep sort of philosophical way it just it was there we could do it and we just did it and and this I'll be honest your mom's sitting here but this has nothing to do with her sitting here but um I would say 80 or 90 percent of what we did as foster parents was really your mom and her willingness to do it and uh you know I would come in there and and help sometimes but uh, she had the capacity for that and, and uh, w- was really willing to do it and I don't want to make a big deal out of it but I came from a pretty crappy background and I felt like we could offer uh, kids something else and even if it was a day or a few years we had the kids I always felt like it, it, that knowledge of being loved may just make them pause when they're about to do something really bad or if they really messed up their life, there, there's something back in their mind that they might remember that would pull them out of it. And I think we've been blessed to, to see that to be true. So you uh, have one theme in life, but you have multiple ways of expressing that theme. And so to me, who you were as a preacher on a Sunday morning or as a teacher at school on, on, on the Monday morning or the football coach on Friday night, me growing up in our home, there was no difference between the, the three different ways that you uh, lived out who you are. And so to me, Coach Meller was not different than uh, Preacher uh, Meller, which was not different than the teacher either. So looking at that, at, at, at some point early on, you decided to go uh, into ministry. You had been working at the Y, you've been working around athletics, and then you saw an opportunity, and then you chose to go into ministry. And then you, for the next few decades, focused your life there. What would you say is, was the greatest thing about being in ministry? 
my safe place when I was a child. Matter of fact, not too many years ago, my mother died. She was 86. And when I went to take care of her and be with her a few days, and then she died, when we went to the funeral, some of those sweet ladies, when I was just a little boy in a not real good situation, I'd go to church and those sweet ladies would give me hugs and pat me on the cheek. And some of those sweet ladies were there. And I I can't tell you how I felt when they would put their little wrinkled up hands with arthritis and pat my cheek, call me my nickname. And uh, I just wanted people to have a safe place. And I felt like church could be that safe place. And um, I was never a particularly good student. I can't spell. I, I, I have a lot of difficulties with those kind of things. And this will sound funny, but I can't talk. And it was a way of being able to, to communicate my thoughts um, about what God had done and what God could do, but I could do it verbally. And I, I felt comfortable doing that, where if I had to go sit down and write something, um, I just was blessed with a lot of good secretaries and a good, and a good wife. But I, I think I, I like ministry because to me, you're just there to try to help people and serve people. I know that sounds kind of idealistic, but that's really how I felt about it. So at Strata Leadership, we have a program called the Institute for Emerging Leaders. And you can really be an emerging leader at any point in your life. The, the idea is not so much about the age, it's about the identity of going from being a doer to being a person who is orchestrating the doing. And that shift from thinking of yourself as one thing versus another is a big moment. And they refer to that as an an emerging leader moment. When you think about people who are on their journey as leaders, and they're in that moment of their beginning to understand that they could make a difference as a leader, what advice would you give leaders who are beginning that journey about life? What would you say would be important for them to focus on to be able to have a meaningful life as a leader? One, one thing I think when we talk about leaders, we usually think about somebody who's out front. And uh, I've thought a lot about this. Um, things aren't accomplished. You've got to have that leader, that what I might call the rah-rah guy or the visionary or the person who who's, sees the big picture and, and wants to get it done. But where success comes is what I like to call all those little leaders. Like when you're coaching football, you can practice and practice and practice. And you're the, quote, coach, you're the leader. But when that whistle blows, you can't go out there and play the game. And you've got to have that leader on the line. You've got to have that leader in the backfield. You've got to have that leader on the bench, the the guy that's the B team or maybe even the C team to keep the the bench involved. And and to me, you don't, I I think some people may, you know, I'm going to grow up to be president or whatever. Maybe that's true, but just, if you can get people to lead where they are, what normally happens is somebody will recognize that and give an opportunity to lead in a, in a bigger way. But if you're not leading in the, when, when nobody's really looking, you're probably not going to lead. If you were given that opportunity, you'd probably fail. And so my advice to them is just lead where you are. Uh, we had a bunch of kids one time wanted to do something really great at a church and they went to their leadership of their church and asked them, we want to do something great for the church. And they asked them to clean the blackboards and dump the trash cans on Wednesday night after church. 
And the kids came to me. They were so upset. They thought, we want to do something great. And they want us to clean blackboards and dump trash cans. And I said, fantastic. Clean the blackboards better than they've ever been cleaned before. Clean the trash cans better than they've been cleaned before. And it won't be very long until they're asking you to do what you're thinking right now. But if you don't do the blackboards and the trash cans, you're never going to be asked to do anything else. This recording is being made in, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and then the economic crisis that has come with that. Matter of fact, today um, has been the, the greatest drop in the value of a barrel of oil ever. Uh, it's a tough time for people. When you look at what is it that allows people not to give up? I mean, you think, uh, what could I offer to someone about not giving up? What advice would you give people about having the mindset needed not to give up when life is hard? This may sound crazy, but I, I think people need to have failures in their life. Um, when I was in college, I was on academic probation. Then I was on what they call strict academic probation. I was just a breath away from not being able to make it. And um, I, I found my high school transcript the other day. My senior year, junior year, and sophomore year, I made straight C's except for art, chorus, and athletics. And um, I got to college. I, I wasn't prepared for it. So I think you got to have some failures or have made it through some tough times. Or when you finally hit that time, you're not going to make it. And most of us have those times. Most of us have something that we've had to persevere through. And I just look back on that and say, okay, if it really gets bad, can we make it? And this isn't a generational thing, but we haven't had that for several generations that as a, as a nation or as a, as a group of people, maybe individuals have. But uh, I think it's a real test to what is the character of America? You know, the, the Vietnam was tough, but it's different. Maybe the Second World War was the, the closest thing we could come to it. Um, so it's going to be a real test. And I, I just hope that people have persevered through difficult financial times, difficult marital problems, maybe difficulty with their kids, you know, all kinds of things that you persevered through. You made it through that. Build on that. If you did that, you can do this too. This kind of goes back to coaching. When you want to quit in the fourth quarter and you went over there waving at the coach, I remember head coach and I got into a real argument one time on the sidelines because one of the guys was waving. He wanted to, to come out of the game. And he said, coach, you see him? I said, yeah, he's staying in there. And he was mad. He said, he wants out. I said, I don't care. He needs to know that he can play two or three more plays. And I think that's kind of true of life. Uh, about eight months ago, uh, you called me on a Sunday night and you uh, told me that my brother, uh, your oldest son, uh, had been involved in a shooting and had been, at that point, we didn't know, shot how many times, but he had been shot and was on his way to the hospital. He survived that, but I, um, I watched you and mom through all of that, and I watched you uh, sleep at the uh, hospital uh, every night just to be there, and now he has made a, a full recovery. What, what did you learn, or what, what's, the, what's the takeaway, if you wouldn't mind sharing, to, to watch your son who nearly lost his life in, in a, a moment of uh, violence where someone was trying to rob him? Uh, this was the same son who had uh, who had survived cancer just a few years earlier. What would you say is the takeaway for you after having been through an experience like that? 
Well, I don't want to be preachy, but I am. (laughs) First thing is that to me, it's times like that, that God sent his son to the earth for that. If if he had died, he, he is not any different than anybody else. He's made some pretty big mistakes in his life, just like I have and other people have. But as far as I can humanly tell, he had made it right with God. So my first thought was, if he doesn't make it, um, I know that there's a God in heaven. The second thing was that I felt like we needed to do everything we could to surround him with love. And he talks about that quite a little bit. He talks about the fact that there was a moment that it was kind of like, do I fight through this or do I just let go? And um, I think knowing that people are loving, knowing his brother got in the car and drove all night, thinking he might have to give him his kidney. Um, I think those things made a difference. And I, I, um, I think your mom and I being on the same page made a difference. But it was, it was the hardest thing as an adult. Um, one of the hardest, I won't say it was the hardest, but one of the hardest things to live through. And I just stayed at the hospital. That's not a big, particularly sacrificial. It was just the best way to do it. So your mom could get home and, and get some rest. The worst thing about that is I didn't realize until the last two nights that the cafeteria was open at night. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things I remember as a kid is when you went to Guyana, South America for the first time, and it would have been 1980, 81 or or somewhere around there. And uh, that was a big deal for our family. And I still have the telegram that you sent while you were, were there, which was a big deal to get a telegram back then when you couldn't call and things like that. But now you by yourself and then you later when mom could travel with you you've gone all over the world trying to serve people and and if you added it all up it would be years of your life have been spent in, in foreign lands on foreign soil i should say uh, serving people and and now your your main focus is through health talents to help provide um compassion and, and good medical care to people in guatemala to provide for their physical and their spiritual needs you have spent as much time uh, doing work like that of anybody I know and have gone on what I would guess would be 75 or more uh, trips of varying lengths. Why is that so important to you? Um, I I think it's a time of renewal for me. Uh, It's also a time, so much of work, I don't care probably whatever job it is, there's so many things you have to deal with that aren't really at the heart of what you really want to do. Um, that you've just got to do the job. You've got to do the work part. And for, for me, missions, it's, it's real clear. You're, you're there to serve the spiritual and physical needs of the people. And you can do that basically 24-7. And you don't get pulled off into all these other, uh, other aspects of things that need to be done. Um, it also, it, again, it sounds kind of cliche. I doubt if I've ever been on a mission trip that I didn't get more from those people than I gave to them. I had a friend in Jamaica one time. We, some of the American churches were taking their money away from the churches there, and they were all concerned. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They want us to, to take care of our people and be benevolent. And um, this one man, his name is David Henry, he finally spoke up and he said, Brethren, if we are too poor to be benevolent, we will never be rich enough to be benevolent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the one of the most 
powerful statements I've ever heard. And those people were poor. And uh, it keeps you balanced. Um, it, it makes you remember. Uh, and so he taught me a whole lot more than I taught him. Although I did try to teach him how to swim. <laughs> so I'm going to make you uncomfortable, but I think it's a, a, a question that means a lot to me. Um, what's the best compliment you've ever received? <laughs> if I tell you, it'll sound racial, and I don't mean it to be racial, but there's an African-American lady in the church where I, one of the churches where I uh, preached, and uh, she was just a mess. Her kids were a mess, uh, abject poverty. Uh, five of her six kids were in special needs classes. I was getting, I was standing at the door shaking hands, and, and she says, uh, Brother Dave, you is a loving man. And uh, that meant a lot to me. Nobody's ever told me I'm handsome. Nobody's ever told me I'm brilliant. Um, but how much does that really mean? And if I could be considered somebody that loves people, and that's, that's pretty good. Well, today is your 73rd birthday. And uh, looking back over, over your life, I know it's impossible to distill that all down to a, a, just a few lines. But um, what, what is, <laughs> looking at your life now at 73, what is something that you wish people knew? Uh, about life that uh, has become clearer to you as you've um, as each birthday has passed. It's something that you wish people knew. I, th- this is kind of something I've said many times, so it may sound programmed, but I, I really believe it. Um, I think you got to kind of have a philosophy of life. You've got to have some maybe short sentence. Uh, uh, it might be a, a verse of a poem or a song or something that you live by. Um, for me, when I was real little, it was. Um, the little train that, you know, I think I can. I, I, I mean, I bought into that. And when something was hard, when I was like, usually it was physical, but it was hard. Uh, I would just keep saying, I think I can. As I got older, I, it, it kind of changed. For part of my life, I had a little phrase, I can, I will, I did. It's kind of the same, but, but I really believe that, you know. Uh, I used to say, everybody says I can. A lot of people say I will, but how many people can say they did, no matter what it was? Maybe it's jumping off a cliff or, you know, graduating from college. For me now, it's faith leads to courage. Courage leads to action. Action leads to accomplishment. Accomplishment leads to greater faith. And then the whole cycle starts over and you've moved up a level. To answer your question, I'm taking longer than I should, but to answer your question, you got to have something in your head that you live by. You've got you've to have some, some idea of, of what is your philosophy. And that can change, but I find a lot of people don't have any idea and they need to have that. So I was looking at some pictures the other day and I noticed that one theme in our families was that we always had great dogs. So when you look back over the the different uh, dogs that you've had, why do you think that having uh, animals like that around you has made life better? When I was little and things were not really good, um, in my house, I found it was very a, a good idea to hide sometimes and just kind of stay out of it and not maybe cause it. Um, so I would go out in the yard and I would hide in my dog's doghouse. I was, I was little as a kid and I'd get in the back of the doghouse and he'd lay in the front of the doghouse and they never could find me. His name was Duke. And I'll never forget the day that Duke finally so unhealthy that my father had to put him down. Um, I don't. I, I, I think that um, it, there have been a lot of times that um, 
I've had conversations with those dogs when everybody else has been asleep. Everybody else, in my opinion, had abandoned me or something. And uh, I could always get a lick on the ear from a dog. Um, last question for our time, and I really do appreciate you uh, providing some of your birthday day, uh, which is valuable time uh, for people that you, you you don't know to be able to listen in on this podcast. And I really do appreciate it. Was old. <laughs> Um, so recently you celebrated your 50th wedding anniversary and uh, we're going to have a celebration for that later in the year when we're not uh, dealing with quarantine issues. But uh, after 50 years of marriage, what advice would you give to people uh, who are, are dealing with their, their own marriages that they, they are, are trying to figure it out the best they can? What advice would you give? I think you've got to be willing to be forgiving. Um, You've got to be willing to let the other person be their person. You've got to not be overly sensitive. Um, I think sometimes we are childlike when we feel like we're not getting the attention that we, that we should get. And I I talked to somebody just yesterday, a young couple that are married and they're having a, a little problem and they're talking about, separating for it. And, and I said, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. You know, work, work through it. I said, you, you know, I actually told the kid, you're just a big quitter, you know, toughen up. You know, this is nothing. You think this is bad. This is nothing. And I think you've got to be committed to it just like anything else. Uh, and you got to be tough enough to make it through some hard times. I've given my wife some really hard times. Your mom, you probably don't know how bad it's been. Um, she's been a challenge to me sometimes, but, um, uh, the options are work through it or there is no other option. And I know that's not really true. I do understand that. I do. I think there are times people need to, to leave each other and it's not working and it's not going to work. But for the most part, the things that destroy people's marriages, if you look back on them, and I can tell you if after 50 years of marriage and after 40 some years of talking with people who have done it, a lot of them look back on it and they were like, why did we get divorced? That was, that was not worth being divorced. I again, appreciate the time today. And uh, our goal at uh, on the Strata Leadership Show is to bring people together, leaders together, to talk about ideas that matter and to really think through what we can do to make a difference. If you'd like to learn more about Strata Leadership, we provide assessments, coaching, training, all the things that you might need. We would invite you to look to strataleadership.com. We can learn more about what we do and we are always looking for opportunities to serve people. Leaders set the tone, they set the pace, set the pace today and have a great day.